Introduction Schizophrenia is a psychiatric disorder characterized by symptoms of chronic or recurrent psychosis. It is commonly associated with impairments in social and occupational functioning. It is among the most disabling and economically catastrophic medical disorders, ranked by the World Health Organization as among the top 10 causes of years lost to disability worldwide for both males and females. Antipsychotic medications are the first-line medication treatment for schizophrenia. They have been shown in clinical trials to be effective in treating symptoms and behaviors associated with the disorder. However, antipsychotic medications have significant side effects. Assessment and management of these adverse effects are an important part of treatment. Evidence-based psychosocial interventions in conjunction with pharmacotherapy can help patients achieve recovery. This topic addresses the pharmacotherapy of schizophrenia in the maintenance phase of treatment and the management of side effects of medication. Epidemiology, pathogenesis, clinical manifestations, and diagnosis are discussed separately. First-generation antipsychotics, second-generation antipsychotics, long-acting injectable antipsychotics, and psychosocial interventions for schizophrenia are discussed separately. See Schizophrenia in Adults, Epidemiology and Pathogenesis. See Schizophrenia in Adults, Clinical Manifestations, Course, Assessment, and Diagnosis. See Pharmacotherapy for Schizophrenia, Long-Acting Injectable Antipsychotic Drugs. See first-generation antipsychotic medications, pharmacology, administration, and comparative side effects. See second-generation antipsychotic medications, pharmacology, administration, and side effects. See psychosocial interventions for schizophrenia in adults. See guidelines for prescribing clozapine in schizophrenia. See co-occurring schizophrenia and substance use disorder, epidemiology, pathogenesis, clinical manifestations, course, assessment and diagnosis. General principles. Objectives of treatment, the goal of maintenance treatment of schizophrenia is to minimize symptoms and functional impairments, minimize side effects of pharmacotherapy, avoid relapses, and promote recovery that allows self-determination, full integration into society, and pursuit of personal goals. See psychosocial treatments below and psychosocial interventions for schizophrenia in adults and medication adjustments below. Multidisciplinary care, we recommend a multidisciplinary approach to maintenance treatment of patients who have recovered from an acute psychotic episode of schizophrenia. Comprehensive programs provide individualized treatment plans including pharmacotherapy, case management, family intervention, and other community outreach services. Treatment programs offering multidisciplinary interventions have been associated with lower rehospitalization rates, lower core illness symptoms, and improved interpersonal and everyday living skills in patients recovering from a first episode of psychosis. As an example, a clinical trial randomized 34 community mental health centers in 21 states in the United States to offer people with newly diagnosed, non-effective psychosis either standard care, 181 patients, or a program of intensive treatment, computerized, algorithm-assisted medication management, family psychoeducation, resiliency-focused individual psychotherapy, and supported education-slash-employment, 223 patients. After two years, subjects receiving the intensive intervention had greater improvement in quality of life, more involvement in school-slash-work, and less psychopathology than the subjects in the standard care group. In this study, Rates of hospitalization did not differ between groups. Limited availability of these programs is the main barrier to broad implementation. See psychosocial treatments below. Patient education. Patient education is the first step in effective maintenance treatment of patients with antipsychotic medication. To promote adherence to medication regimens, we recommend educating all patients treated with antipsychotics about their side effects, e.g., extrapyramidal symptoms, tardive dyskinesia, sedation, dry mouth, and the increased risk of recurrence of symptoms due to premature discontinuation of medications. Patient education is important because some patients may view side effects as a sign that the medication is not working or is worsening their symptoms. Anticipation of side effects may prevent patients from unilaterally discontinuing their medication. Antipsychotic therapy. Initial management of acute psychosis, 
Initial management of schizophrenia involves the treatment and stabilization of acute psychosis. Selection and dosing of antipsychotic therapy in the acute setting is discussed in detail elsewhere. See Psychosis in Adults, Initial Management, Section on Initial Management, Medication Adjustments, Patient-Specific Considerations, Full Response to Pharmacologic Therapy, If a patient has fully responded, e. no longer has clinically significant psychosis, to the antipsychotic initiated for an acute psychotic episode, we continue that medication. We use the lowest effective dose. Duration of antipsychotic therapy is discussed elsewhere. See duration of antipsychotic therapy below. Partial response or recurrence of symptoms. Some patients, despite having symptomatic improvement with antipsychotic treatment, have persistent residual symptoms, e.g., incomplete or partial response. Other patients have full response to antipsychotic treatment but have intermittent symptom recurrence. If the symptoms are bothersome to the patient or impair functioning, we consider the treatment response suboptimal. Our first step in patients with incomplete response or intermittent symptom recurrence is to assess medication adherence, see non-adherence below. For those with confirmed adherence, next steps depend on whether the antipsychotic dose is within therapeutic range. In patients who have been treated with subtherapeutic doses, we increase their dose until either the patient responds, therapeutic range is reached, or side effects limit further increases. See side effect management below and psychosis in adults, initial management, section on administration. In patients who have incomplete response or recurrent symptoms despite the medication being in the therapeutic range for an adequate time period, e. 6 weeks, data informing the optimal approach are very limited. If the symptoms are bothersome to the patient, we generally suggest switching the medication. For individuals who have only tried one or two other standard antipsychotic agents, e. not clozapine, in the past, we try a different standard antipsychotic. There are no specific agents that are preferred. As with initial selection of antipsychotic therapy, the choice depends on medication side effects, the patient's comorbidities, history of adherence, and patient preferences. Additionally, if the patient has had a good response to a particular agent in the past, that would be a reasonable choice to try again. Selection of antipsychotic therapy and changing medications are discussed in detail elsewhere. See Implementation of Medication Changes Below and Psychosis in Adults, Initial Management, Section on Selection. For individuals who have chronic symptoms that have not fully remitted despite two or more prior medication trials with standard antipsychotic agents and who are bothered by these symptoms or who have functional impairment, we consider them to have treatment-resistant schizophrenia and evaluate them for clozapine eligibility. Management of treatment-resistant patients is discussed in detail elsewhere. See treatment-resistant schizophrenia below. We generally do not recommend doses above the therapeutic range. Most studies of antipsychotics dosed above the recommended range have found no clear benefit. If used, Trials of higher doses should be limited to three months unless there is clear evidence of benefit. See psychosis in adults, initial management, section on administration. We typically do not add a second antipsychotic agent in patients who have suboptimal response because little empirical evidence supports this practice, 7,8. Although a national cohort study of over 62,000 patients with schizophrenia in Finland suggested that combination antipsychotic therapy was associated with a lower risk of hospitalization compared with monotherapy overall. The only specific oral combination therapy that was clearly associated with better outcomes than its separate components was clozapine plus aripiprazole, 8. Thus, we generally reserve combining antipsychotic agents to patients on clozapine in whom a therapeutic dose cannot be achieved. This is discussed elsewhere. See Evaluation and Management of Treatment-Resistant Schizophrenia, Section on Augmentation with Medication. Persistent Suicidality, in patients with schizophrenia who have persistent suicidal ideation despite antipsychotic treatment, we suggest a trial of clozapine. Clozapine has been shown in a large randomized trial to reduce suicide attempts in patients with schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder at high risk for suicide and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved it for this use. In this study, 980 patients with schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder, 
27% refractory to previous treatment and high risk due to prior suicide attempts or current suicidal ideation, were randomly assigned to either olanzapine or clozapine treatment. Less suicidal behavior, attempts or completed suicide, occurred in patients treated with clozapine, hazard ratio 0.76, 95% C0.58 to 0.97. Further, in nationwide observational studies of patients with schizophrenia in Finland, in greater than 61,000, and Sweden, in greater than 29,000, clozapine was the only antipsychotic associated with a decreased risk of suicide attempt or completion compared with use of no antipsychotic, hazard ratio 0.64, 95% C0.49 to 0.84 Finnish cohort, hazard ratio 0.66, 95% C0.43 to 0.99 Swedish cohort. Guidelines for clozapine prescribing, dosing, monitoring, and side effect management are described separately. Management of suicidal patients is described separately. See guidelines for prescribing clozapine in schizophrenia and suicidal ideation and behavior in adults. Treatment-resistant schizophrenia, patients with schizophrenia who do not benefit adequately from two or more trials of standard antipsychotic medications despite typically therapeutic doses and treatment durations, e.g., six weeks, are considered to have treatment-resistant schizophrenia. We usually evaluate these patients for clozapine eligibility. Randomized trials have shown that clozapine has greater efficacy compared with other antipsychotics in treating patients who have responded poorly to prior antipsychotic trials, 11 to 14. However, due to its potential toxicity, it is reserved for treatment refractory cases or cases with high risk for suicide. In the United States, clozapine is the only antipsychotic medication approved for this use. The efficacy of interventions for treatment-resistant schizophrenia, including clozapine, is discussed separately. Guidelines for clozapine prescribing, dosing, monitoring, and side effect management are described separately. See Evaluation and Management of Treatment-Resistant Schizophrenia and Guidelines for Prescribing Clozapine in Schizophrenia. Non-adherence, in patients with poor response to medication or repeated relapses, non-adherence should be considered. We recommend asking patients about their medication adherence in a non-judgmental fashion. In many cases, side effects may be the cause of non-adherence and may need to be addressed. See side effect management below. We suggest using long-acting injectable, LAI, antipsychotics for patients with schizophrenia when non-adherence is problematic or leads to frequent relapse. Lie antipsychotics are administered at intervals from 2 to 12 weeks. As an example, risperidone lie can be administered at a starting dose of 25 mg every 2 weeks up to a maximum of 50 mg every 2 weeks. Paliperidone 12-week lie is another option that can be administered at 12-week intervals after the patient has been adequately treated for at least 4 months on the 4-week version of lipalipiridone. See Pharmacotherapy for Schizophrenia, Long-Acting Injectable Antipsychotic Drugs. Other strategies to promote better adherence to antipsychotics include simplifying medication regimens, e.g., fewer medications, fewer pills, fewer daily doses, and active engagement of patients in treatment planning, e. shared decision-making. Implementation of Medication Changes Medication changes are usually in response to incomplete or poor response, side effects limiting response to or titration of the medication, or non-adherence to the medication. We vary the method and rate of change of medications depending on the clinical situation. For example, incomplete or poor response, continue the ineffective medication at its current dose while titrating the second medication according to its suggested titration schedule. Once the second medication has reached its target dose, the first medication can be tapered every few days over one to two weeks. Side effects Lower the first medication every few days over one to two weeks while simultaneously titrating the second medication at a similar rate. Non-adherence, begin second medication, e.g., lie antipsychotic, according to usual dosing schedule. See non-adherence above and pharmacotherapy for schizophrenia, long-acting injectable antipsychotic drugs. Duration of antipsychotic therapy, for patients with known or suspected schizophrenia who have recovered from an acute first psychotic episode, 
we recommend continuing antipsychotics for at least two to three years. Whether to continue beyond this interval depends on the course and individual features. For those with a first episode of psychosis, we base the decision to continue antipsychotic therapy on the symptom intensity, level of psychiatric disruption, response to medications, and support. For those who had psychosis that was extremely disruptive, difficult to control, or accompanied by violence or suicidal ideation, we favor continuing antipsychotic therapy indefinitely. Otherwise, if it seems that potential relapses can be readily controlled, we explore the possibility of discontinuing medications after two to three years. For those who have had multiple episodes of psychosis in the past, we generally recommend continuing antipsychotic therapy indefinitely. However, in patients whose recurrent psychosis has been mild with clear warning signs, a trial of antipsychotic discontinuation may be reasonable. We individualize this decision weighing the potential risks and benefits of indefinite antipsychotic treatment, keeping in mind that antipsychotic treatment may be the reason that recurrences have been mild. We would not consider discontinuing antipsychotic treatment for individuals whose recurrent psychosis has been associated with violence, hospitalization, or other serious disruptions. If the decision is to discontinue antipsychotic medication, we recommend a gradual reduction in antipsychotic dose and weekly monitoring. We recommend restarting an antipsychotic medication, typically the same medication they were on previously, at the first signs of symptom recurrence. Discontinuing antipsychotic medications is associated with a higher rate of relapse. A meta-analysis of 9,145 patients with schizophrenia and 75 randomized trials of 7 to 12 months duration found that patients who continued on an antipsychotic experienced a lower relapse rate compared with patients who were transitioned to placebo, 24 versus 61%, number needed to treat equals 3, relative risk 0.38, 95% C 0.32 to 0.45. Systematic reviews and meta-analysis of randomized trials have found that maintenance antipsychotic medication reduces the risk of relapse after a first episode of psychosis and schizophrenia over a period of up to three years, 16 to 20. Findings are equivocal for longer periods of treatment. However, among those who are able to discontinue or reduce the dose of antipsychotic medication, doing so may be associated with better long-term functioning. In a trial of patients with schizophrenia who were randomly assigned to either dose reduction slash discontinuation or maintenance, at two years, twice as many patients relapsed with a dose reduction strategy versus maintenance treatment, 43 versus 21%. At seven-year follow-up, however, patients in the dose reduction slash discontinuation strategy were found to have superior functional remission rates, e.g., function across domains including housekeeping, community integration, and vocational functioning, versus those in the maintenance group, 40 versus 18%. Additionally, Patients in the dose reduction strategy group had lower mean daily antipsychotic dose over the prior two years than those in maintenance group, 2.2 mg versus 3.6 mg, haloperidol equivalent dose. Other trials also demonstrate that a fraction of patients with schizophrenia do not need continuous antipsychotic treatment throughout their lifetimes, however, there are no clear characteristics that can identify these individuals prospectively. Psychosocial treatments We recommend comprehensive psychosocial treatment as an adjunct to antipsychotic medications for all patients with schizophrenia. Interventions include cognitive remediation and social skills training, cognitive behavioral therapy, and family-based interventions. Psychosocial interventions for psychosis and schizophrenia are discussed in detail elsewhere. See Psychosocial Interventions for Schizophrenia in Adults and Psychosis in Adults, Initial Management, Section on Psychosocial Interventions. Monitoring follow-up monitoring should include symptom assessment and review of medications and side effects. Periodic laboratory testing is needed to address possible metabolic effects of medications. Recommended monitoring and frequency are discussed below. Frequency of follow-up. Frequency of follow-up for patients whose acute symptoms have stabilized depends on the level of residual symptoms, prior history of recurrence, history of adherence to medications, and level of support available to the patient. For most patients, we recommend weekly follow-up for the first three months of treatment. If remission is achieved and continues at three months, 
we typically lower the frequency of visits to once or twice per month for several months, then once per month. Frequency of follow-up visits can be changed depending on clinical progress and availability of a support system. Psychiatric symptoms, we recommend assessment of psychiatric symptoms at each visit. This is done primarily through clinical interview and mental status examination of the patient. The interview should be performed in a private setting with minimal distraction to establish or maintain rapport with the patient. While open-ended questioning is often preferred, when necessary, we recommend direct questioning about specific symptoms such as hallucinations, paranoia, mood changes, sleep disturbance, suicidality, and homicidality. See schizophrenia in adults, clinical manifestations, course, assessment, and diagnosis, section on clinical manifestations. The mental status examination is a portion of the clinical interview that evaluates cognitive domains including arousal, attention, language, and memory and can be useful to detect underlying cognitive or behavioral abnormalities. While there are no widely accepted clinical tools for measuring the severity of schizophrenia symptoms, some clinical programs use the modified Colorado Symptom Inventory for this purpose. See the mental status examination in adults and psychosis in adults, epidemiology, clinical manifestations, and diagnostic evaluation, section on diagnostic evaluation. Movement and motor symptoms, all patients treated with antipsychotic medications should be monitored for extrapyramidal symptoms, extrapyramidal symptoms, for example akathisia, Parkinsonism, and dystonia, as well as for tardive dyskinesia, TD, at each visit. Frequency, patients starting an antipsychotic medication should be evaluated for extrapyramidal symptoms weekly until the medication dose has been stable for at least two weeks. Two weekly assessments should follow any change in antipsychotic, addition of an antipsychotic, or significant antipsychotic dose increase. We recommend checking for TD whenever assessing for extrapyramidal symptoms. Additionally, formal documentation of TD, e.g., using the Abnormal Involuntary Movement Scale, Form 1, is recommended at the following intervals. For patients at high risk of developing abnormal movements, e.g., over 55 years old, female, comorbid mood disorder or substance use disorder, on high-potency D2 blockers such as first-generation antipsychotics, every three months. For all other patients, at least every 12 months. Assessment, examination for extrapyramidal symptoms and TD should include inspection of normal movements and abnormal involuntary movements of orofacial muscles and tongue as well as extremities, including fingers and toes. Muscle tone can be checked by passive flexion and extension of arms, legs, wrists, and ankles. While standing the patients can be observed for abnormal movements of the trunk, gait should be observed for arm swing, bradykinesia, slowing, and balance. Some abnormalities may be severe, reported by the patient, and noted by brief visual inspection. Other symptoms may be very mild, unreported by the patient, and identified only by careful examination. We recommend asking about motor symptoms including restlessness or pacing, inability to sit still, stiffness or slowness of movements, tremor, or gait change, in addition to direct examination. Findings can be suggestive of syndromes. Akathisia is suggested by a sensation of restlessness, frequent pacing, a compelling urge to move, or an inability to sit still. See akathisia below. Parkinsonism is suggested by finding of mast facies, bradykinesia, tremor, or rigidity. See Parkinsonism below. Dystonia is a tonic contraction of a muscle or muscle group that is typically disturbing to the patient and obvious to the examiner. See dystonia below. TD is characterized by the following features. See tardive dyskinesia below and tardive dyskinesia, etiology, risk factors, clinical features, and diagnosis and tardive dyskinesia, prevention, treatment, and prognosis. Sucking, smacking of lips, choreoathetoid movements of the tongue, facial grimacing, lateral jaw movements, choriform or athetoid movements of the extremities and or truncal areas. Metabolic dysregulation, we recommend monitoring fasting glucose or hemoglobin A1c, lipid profile, weight, 
and body mass index at regular intervals during the first year and then annually thereafter if normal. More frequent measurements may be necessary for individual patients with significant baseline metabolic abnormalities, significant weight gain, or where there is clear evidence of increased risk of insulin resistance. In these cases, we recommend consultation with a primary care clinician, internist, or endocrinologist. Monitoring for metabolic abnormalities in patients taking an antipsychotic drug and or patients with severe mental illness is reviewed in greater detail separately. See approach to managing increased risk for cardiovascular disease in patients with severe mental illness and metabolic syndrome in patients with severe mental illness, epidemiology, contributing factors, pathogenesis, and clinical implications. Orthostatic changes and tachycardia, we recommend checking pulse and blood pressure at each visit. Orthostatic blood pressure is checked if the patient reports lightheadedness or has tachycardia, e.g., greater than 100 beats per minute. Antipsychotics with alpha-adrenergic blocking effects, e.g., clozapine, risperidone, haloperidone, iloperidone, can produce a dose-related orthostatic hypotension and associated tachycardia. These effects are most pronounced during the first days of treatment and occur most frequently with clozapine and iloperidone. Electrocardiogram, we recommend an electrocardiogram, EKG, prior to starting antipsychotic medications, three months after starting the medication, and yearly thereafter in all patients with baseline risk for QT prolongation. Additionally, we recommend checking EKG at the same intervals in all patients treated with antipsychotic medications associated with QT prolongation. See cardiovascular effects below. Other testing in select cases, in some individuals, for example, individuals with pre-existing neutropenia, or in those who report galacturia or sexual dysfunction while on medications, it may necessary to check prolactin level or complete blood count more frequently. See other patient-specific considerations below and endocrinologic and metabolic side effects below. Side effect management. Extrapyramidal symptoms, extrapyramidal symptoms, extrapyramidal symptoms, include akathisia, Parkinsonism, and dystonia. While all antipsychotics can cause extrapyramidal symptoms, they tend to be more common in first-generation antipsychotics, FGAs, than second-generation antipsychotics. See medication adjustments above in first-generation antipsychotic medications, pharmacology, administration, and comparative side effects and second-generation antipsychotic medications, pharmacology, administration, and side effects. Akathisia. Akathisia is the most common form of extrapyramidal symptoms. It usually presents as motor restlessness with a compelling urge to move or an inability to sit still. Individuals with milder akathisia may describe a subjective feeling of restlessness but not show restless motor behavior. In patients whose akathisia is intolerable or affects their response to medication we generally suggest cautious reduction of the antipsychotic dose while closely monitoring the patient for exacerbation of psychotic symptoms. In some instances, it may be necessary to address the akathisia pharmacologically rather than lowering the antipsychotic. As examples, when the psychosis was difficult to control or has required several ineffective trials, or when the medications have not yet had time to take effect. The treatment of akathisia in adults receiving antipsychotic medication is in the associated algorithm, algorithm 1. We suggest individualized treatment depending on the clinical presentation. In patients whose akathisia is improved on the lower dose of antipsychotic, we recommend continuing that lower dose of antipsychotic medication. In patients with recurrent psychosis on the lower dose, we increase the dose back to prior level to stabilize symptoms. When psychotic symptoms are stable, we suggest switching to another antipsychotic with less propensity to cause extrapyramidal symptoms. In patients whose akathisia is unimproved on the lower dose, we suggest switching to another antipsychotic with lower propensity to cause akathisia. If the above options are tried without success or contraindicated, e, in patients who cannot have antipsychotic lowered or changed, we suggest treatment of akathisia with medication. Our preferred choices are propranolol and benztropine. We typically use propranolol to avoid the anticholinergic effects of benztropine. We further individualize the choice based on potential adverse effects and underlying comorbidities, as examples. In patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, 
heart failure, or asthma, we suggest avoiding beta blockers, e, propranolol. In patients with glaucoma or cognitive concerns, we suggest avoiding benzodiazepine. In small clinical trials, propranolol and benzodiazepine have shown evidence of efficacy in the treatment of akathisia, 28 to 32. Doses and monitoring are propranolol. Propranolol should be started to 10 mg orally twice daily. If symptoms do not improve, dosing can be increased weekly to maximum dose of 40 to 60 mg twice daily. Blood pressure should be monitored with the use of propranolol. Fatigue and lightheadedness are common. Benzodiazepine. Benzodiazepine should be started at 1 mg twice daily and increased up to 3 mg twice daily depending on response. Patients receiving benzodiazepine should be monitored for anticholinergic effects including dry mouth, constipation, urinary retention, blurry vision, and cognitive impairment. Benzodiazepines are another effective option for reducing akathisia, however, some studies have suggested an increased risk of mortality with benzodiazepine use in schizophrenia, 32-34. Additionally, they are associated with sedation, withdrawal seizures, a potential for addiction, and tolerance. Thus, if used, e.g., if there are no other alternatives, patients should receive the lowest dose that reduces akathisia. Lorazepam can be started at half a milligram orally twice daily and, if clinically warranted, increased by half a milligram twice daily to a dose of 3 milligrams twice daily. We do not recommend total daily doses above 6 milligrams. Parkinsonism. Symptoms of secondary Parkinsonism include mast facies, cogwheel rigidity, tremor, and radicinesia. These symptoms may range from severe, e.g., noted by brief visual inspection of patient, to very mild and unreported by the patient, e.g., detected only by careful examination. In severe cases, Parkinsonism may significantly impair the patient's quality of life and increase the risk of falls. In these cases, we suggest treatment of the secondary Parkinsonism as described below. Our first treatment intervention is a cautious reduction in antipsychotic dose with close monitoring of the patient for exacerbation of psychotic symptoms. In patients whose Parkinsonism is improved with lower dose of antipsychotic, we continue the lower dose while monitoring for symptoms and side effects. In patients with recurrent psychotic symptoms on a lower dose of antipsychotic, we increase the medication back to its prior dose to stabilize symptoms. When psychosis is stable we suggest switching to another antipsychotic with lower propensity to cause Parkinsonism. In patients who are highly sensitive to Parkinsonism, clozapine should be considered. In patients whose Parkinsonism is unimproved despite lower dose of antipsychotic, we suggest switching to another antipsychotic with lower propensity to cause Parkinsonism. If the above options are tried without success or contraindicated, e. in patients who cannot have antipsychotic lowered or changed, we suggest treatment of antipsychotic-induced Parkinsonism with medications although there is little high-quality evidence supporting the effectiveness of these approaches, 35-37. Choice of medication is based on age of patient, medical comorbidity, current medications, and prior history of treatment for extrapyramidal symptoms. Benzodiazepine is our preferred choice for treating antipsychotic-induced Parkinsonism. We suggest starting at 1 mg twice daily and titrating to 3 mg twice daily if needed. Doses of 1 to 2 mg slash day are often effective. Benzodiazepine is an anticholinergic medication that can lead to dry mouth, constipation, blurry vision, urinary retention, and cognitive impairment. These effects may be more severe in patients over 70 years old and in patients on other medications with anticholinergic properties. If benzodiazepine is ineffective or in patients in which it is not preferred, e.g., cognitive concerns, anticholinergic sensitivities, we suggest the N-methyl-D-aspartate receptor antagonist, amantadine. Amantadine may be given as immediate release 100 mg orally 2 to 3 times daily. Once daily forms are available as well for increased adherence. Side effects include hypotension and mild agitation. See Initial Pharmacologic Treatment of Parkinson's Disease, Section on Amantadine. Other agents that are less commonly used in the treatment of antipsychotic-induced Parkinsonism include diphenhydramine, levodopa, and trihexyphenidyl. Diphenhydramine, an antihistamine, 
may be given at a dose of 25 to 50 mg orally every 6 hours. It is less commonly used due to its shorter half-life and sedative properties. Trihexyphenidyl has anticholinergic properties similar to benzodiazepine and is used based on cost and availability. We advise against using the dopamine agonist levodopa in patients with active psychosis. It has been shown in observational studies to have minimal benefit in the treatment of drug-induced Parkinsonism and adverse reactions may include psychosis and agitation. See Initial Pharmacologic Treatment of Parkinson's Disease, Section on Non-Ergo-Dopamine Agonists. Prophylactic use of antiparkinsonian agents is not recommended to prevent antipsychotic-induced Parkinsonism. However, it may be useful in patients treated with high doses, e.g., greater than haloperidol 10 mg slash day or the equivalent dose of other antipsychotics, of high-potency first-generation antipsychotics, or in those patients with known sensitivity to extrapyramidal symptoms, 39,40. Dystonia. Dystonia is an involuntary contraction of major muscle groups that is highly disturbing to the patient. Some types of dystonia, for example laryngospasm, may be life-threatening. Antipsychotic-induced dystonia is usually rapid in onset and is characterized by torticollis, retrocollis, oculogyric crisis, and episodinose. Risk factors for dystonia include young age, male sex, use of cocaine, and a history of acute dystonic reaction. For treatment of acute dystonia secondary to antipsychotic, use we recommend treatment with diphenhydramine or benzodiazepine, as described below. We prefer diphenhydramine. Diphenhydramine, we suggest a dose of 50 mg intravenously, 4, or intramuscularly, M, acutely followed by 50 mg orally every 4 to 6 hours. Milder cases may be treated with 50 mg orally 2 to 3 times daily. Benzodiazepine, we suggest a dose of 1 to 2 mg M or 4 acutely followed by 1 to 2 mg orally daily. Milder cases may be treated with oral benzodiazepine 1 to 2 mg once or twice daily. The emergence of a dystonia should lead to re-evaluation of the patient's antipsychotic regimen. After acute dystonia we suggest continuing the daily dose of benzodiazepine or diphenhydramine and changing to an antipsychotic with less propensity to cause extrapyramidal symptoms. Prophylactic treatment with an anticholinergic agent such as benzodiazepine is recommended to prevent an acute dystonic reaction in patients who receive intramuscular haloperidol, e.g., in the treatment of acute agitation or psychosis. This is particularly important in patients with little prior exposure to antipsychotics. As an example, intramuscular haloperidol 5 or 10 mg can be accompanied by intramuscular benzodiazepine 1 or 2 mg. Tardive dyskinesia, tardive dyskinesia, TD, is a syndrome consisting of characteristic involuntary movements occurring most often after chronic treatment with antipsychotic medications or another dopamine receptor blocking agent. TD syndromes are more common after sustained exposure to antipsychotic medications, however, they may appear as early as 1 to 6 months after initiation of these agents. TD may initially worsen or reappear after lowering or discontinuing medication. See tardive dyskinesia, etiology, risk factors, clinical features, and diagnosis, section on risk factors. When patients develop TD, clinicians should reevaluate the current medication treatment. Prevention and treatment of TD are discussed in detail elsewhere. See tardive dyskinesia, prevention, treatment, and prognosis, section on initial management. Neuroleptic malignant syndrome. Neuroleptic malignant syndrome, NMS, is a life-threatening syndrome that is characterized by a tetrad of clinical features, fever, rigidity, mental status changes, autonomic instability, and can occur in patients taking antipsychotic or other dopamine-blocking agents. Incidence rates range from 0.02% to 3%. Treatment of NMS involves withdrawal of medication and intensive management for cardiovascular support, control of hyperthermia, fluids, and restoration of electrolyte balance. See Neuroleptic Malignant Syndrome. Endocrinologic and Metabolic Side Effects. Most antipsychotic medications are known to cause metabolic side effects including weight gain, hyperlipidemia, hyperglycemia, and hypertension. These side effects are risk factors for cardiovascular disease. 
Additionally, they are primary contributors to the early and increased mortality experienced by patients who have severe mental illness or are on antipsychotic medication. Strategies for preventing and treating metabolic side effects of antipsychotic drugs include changing the antipsychotic regimen, lifestyle interventions including diet changes and exercise to reduce weight and metabolic risk factors, treating other metabolic risk factors such as hypertension, dyslipidemia, hyperglycemia, diabetes, and tobacco use. Prevention and treatment of metabolic syndromes are presented in detail elsewhere. See Approach to Managing Increased Risk for Cardiovascular Disease in Patients with Severe Mental Illness. See Modifiable Risk Factors for Cardiovascular Disease in Patients with Severe Mental Illness. See Lifestyle Interventions for Obesity and Overweight Patients with Severe Mental Illness. See Management of Low-Density Lipoprotein Cholesterol, LDLC, in the Secondary Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease. See Initial Management of Hyperglycemia in Adults with Type 2 Diabetes Mellitus. Cardiovascular Effects. QT Prolongation. In patients who develop prolonged QT syndrome during treatment with antipsychotic medications, we recommend consultation with a cardiologist and changing to another antipsychotic medication with lower propensity to cause QT prolongation. See Acquired Long QT Syndrome, Clinical Manifestations, Diagnosis, and Management and Psychosis in Adults, Initial Management, Section on Cardiovascular Risk Factors, Orthostatic Hypotension and Tachycardia, in individuals at risk for orthostatic hypotension, such as older adult or frail patients we recommend starting at the lowest possible dose of the prescribed medication and titrating slowly. As an example, quetiapine can be started at 25 mg per day and increased by 25 mg per day to the acute therapeutic dose range of 150 to 750 mg depending on clinical response. If orthostatic hypotension develops, we recommend carefully lowering the dose of the antipsychotic medication. If this is not effective or contraindicated, we recommend changing to another antipsychotic with less propensity to cause orthostasis. Treatment strategies for tachycardia include reducing the dose of antipsychotic medication and avoiding anticholinergic medications. For symptomatic patients, we recommend referral to a cardiologist. Myocarditis and cardiomyopathy, these have been reported in patients treated with clozapine. See guidelines for prescribing clozapine in schizophrenia, section on myocarditis slash cardiomyopathy. Other treatment emergent side effects and their treatment. Anticholinergic-related side effects, these side effects include tachycardia, dry mouth, urinary hesitancy, constipation, visual changes, and cognitive impairment. In patients with problematic anticholinergic side effects, we recommend lowering medication dosing as the first treatment. If this is ineffective, we recommend changing to a medication with less anticholinergic effect. Anticholinergic effects are seen with clozapine, chlorpromazine, olanzapine, and, to a lesser extent, with quetiapine, iloperidone, and loxapine. Table 3. These side effects tend to be worse in older patients. Sedation, we recommend giving antipsychotic medications with high propensity to cause sedation at night. Sedation is usually most severe during the first few weeks of treatment and can be minimized by titrating medications slowly. Although all antipsychotics medications can cause sedation, it is most strongly associated with chlorpromazine, olanzapine, clozapine, and quetiapine. Table 3. Agranulocytosis, leukopenia, neutropenia, and agranulocytosis have been well documented with clozapine but have been reported with other antipsychotics as well. In the United States and other countries, regulations require routine monitoring of clozapine patients for neutropenia and discontinuation of the drug in severe cases. Monitoring guidelines are discussed in detail separately. See Guidelines for Prescribing Clozapine in Schizophrenia, Section on Monitoring. For patients taking other antipsychotics who develop drug-induced neutropenia, we recommend prompt withdrawal of the antipsychotic and consultation with a primary care provider or hematologist. We then carefully consider the need for continued antipsychotic treatment. If an antipsychotic is still indicated, then we carefully reintroduce a different antipsychotic. 
For patients who have previously experienced a drug-induced neutropenia or who have a pre-existing low white blood cell count or low absolute neutrophil count, ANC-EG, individuals with Duffy Null-associated neutrophil count, DANCE, we recommend monitoring ANC at baseline, after two weeks, and after three to six months. If recurrence of neutropenia is documented, we recommend prompt withdrawal of the antipsychotic and further consultation with primary care provider or hematologist.